All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. They're coming to get you, Barbara. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Here's Johnny. Vanity. Definitely my favorite set. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. The power of Christ compels you! This is my boomstick! What's your favorite scary movie? Hello, horror heads, and welcome to Shiver, a horror movie podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Daniel Devona. And I'm David Uyoa. And we are back with just the two of us because we finally wrapped up Summer Fan Fest. And again, we said it at the end of last episode, but we want to start off by saying thank you to everybody who did those episodes with us this summer. We had a blast. There's so many of you I know we're going to have back on. Uh, oh, yeah. So that that was a ton of fun. But we're going to get back into kind of scheduling things just based on what's new, looking at the calendar. We've got some great stuff coming up, but this week... We've got one that we have both been anticipating for quite a while. Honestly, I've been excited about this one since the first time I just saw like a billing block of it. And this mm-hmm. week we are talking The Black Phone, streaming now on Peacock. Uh, so The Black Phone just released this year, very hotly anticipated. Um, I mean, there was, it was interesting because I, I went out of my way to kind of stay blind to this. I wanted to mm-hmm. know nothing. I didn't want to know what the phone was. I didn't want to know anything about it. And uh, I think it was better for that because just people were excited for this. It's coming in at high ratings on all the websites. But I mean, what do you think, Dave, when you look at the marketing and everything for this one? I mean, does it does it live up to the hype? I uh, I think it does, which is like really odd because that team of Scott Derrickson and Ethan Hawke, like very famously, uh, is uh, Sinister. Yeah. And and Sinister for a long time was touted as the scariest movie of all time. Uh, you know, it's scientifically the scariest yes. movie of all time, right? Uh, because measuring, uh, you know, heartbeats per minute uh, or per hour, whatever it was, it, it ended up giving you the most scares and so when you hear scott derrickson is back with a with a like a a real horror movie right not like a doctor strange horror movie right uh so it's a real horror movie and ethan hawk is in it but this time ethan hawk's playing the bad guy right you're like holy fuck like i'm in and all you have to do is look at that poster yeah like that poster like the first time i saw it i was like i don't know what this is but i gotta watch it it's one of those images that just like crawls under your skin yeah and um and and i mean this movie premiered at a festival last year so people have been talking about this movie for a year and the buzz was already there before then so i mean the the hype is real and i think very rarely do you get an event like this where you have a big time director a big time actor coming in and making a horror movie and it's really a small budget horror movie. I, th- I yeah. think it was only like like twenty million dollars or something like that. So, um, and yeah, I, I might it's be listed wrong at six. That. It's listed at sixteen to eighteen. Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah so under twenty million dollars. I mean, to put that into perspective, that's what back in nineteen eighty one, 
Steven Spielberg made Raiders of the Lost Ark for. <laughs> so, yeah. like that's you, we're talking about like a like paper thin budget here, and I think that they created something that not only looks good but really really scares. Like I found this to be terrifying. Yeah, like uh and you know just 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 by the numbers time about does it live up to the hype? I mean the box office on this is over 150 million. I mean so we're talking it at jet I mean just you know 10 million short of like a 10 times turnaround on this, right? That's nuts. And we you know it's it's funny because yeah, the hype machine is 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 always such a weird thing. You know, when when granted we were a couple years behind the curve, but when we went and did Veronica, it's like, oh, we got to do Veronica because everybody's saying yeah. like they don't finish it on Netflix. It's so scary. We watch it, we're like, I mean, it's all right. I don't, I don't get it. Yeah, <laughs> but like this one, man, like I, the hype for this was well, well, well placed. This movie did a lot it was oh man yes it was scary it was there there were there were a lot of very bizarre juxtapositions and some things like that that we're going to talk about but it just it adds up to this movie that is just terrifying and in a not super traditional you know like jump scare kind of way it's it's very scary intentionally and purposefully and they did such a good job with it and i was impressed by the fact that like i said there was so much hype but i was still able to avoid there's not anything super spoilery here to be had there's a couple things there's you know there's one or two big things but i really went into this just all i knew about it was ethan hawk was a bad guy and he wears this terrifying mask that was all I knew. And I was like, all right, cool. And I knew he was called the grabber. I'll take that back. I also knew that, that he was called the grabber. And so going into it like that, it was, it was great. They did so many wonderful things here that made this worthy of everything that people were saying was so great about it. They, there were some incredible performances. There was some incredible set design. There were some amazing shots. There were a couple of really good scares. I mean, all stuff that we're going to get to. But what was funny was I was talking to somebody at work today. And I said, yeah, I watched uh, Black Phone last night for the podcast today. And she said, how was it? I said, it scared the shit out of me. And she goes, man, for as much as you watch these, it must be really scary for it to scare you. And I said, what's bizarre about that is it's not traditional it's not slashery scary right. it's not it's not like ghost story scary but because it was something that felt very real i think yeah. is is when we get into what made this one so scary but credit where credit's due i was made it's not like i had to go out of my way to avoid any of this getting spoiled for me people seem to enjoy this movie so much that they were happy to just be hyped about it without trying to just like tell everyone about it. You know, I always go back to Game of Thrones, those last couple of seasons of Game of Thrones. If you didn't watch those on Sunday night, you were screwed. The internet lived to spoil Game of Thrones, but people have been really good about this movie and about a bunch of stuff that's come out since. And 
keeping it to where you can get into something and enjoy it. Uh, we got uh, Hannah Floyd Payne uh, from the Silver Bullet episode says, Ethan, Ethan Hawke's weird laugh in this movie will haunt my dreams. Forever. It was so strange. And I'm going to go ahead and put Hannah on blast for this too. Hannah, you were right. Ethan Hawke was rocking the the built dad bod. Like uh, he, yeah. Yeah. Like he's got one shirtless scene, but it was like, okay, Ethan, I see you. I see you. That was, <laughs> <laughs> that was, Hannah gets on her Instagram. She's like, look, don't judge me, but just take a look at Ethan Hawke's bod. You were right, Hannah. You were right. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was there. <laughs> but this movie 100% lived Uma up Thurman's to the a lucky lady. Yeah. 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 This movie 100% lived up to the hype. It did. It didn't do anything too crazy. It didn't shoot for the stars in, in in creating something new, and yet it still managed to feel really fresh, really original, really fun, and super scary. Yeah, um, and you you mentioned something um, that I think is a nice segue into uh, the first segment I want to talk about, which is the story, right? Um, there is obviously a supernatural twist to this. Um, and if you haven't watched yet, now's a good time to shut us down and watch us after yes. you've, you've watched this movie. Um, so I'm going to give you that time. All right. Three, two, one. Spoiler alert now. All right. Um, obviously, Finney's sister... Um, Shit, what's her name? Uh, Gwen. Gwen. Right? Gwen, Gwen can envision things, right? Right. Uh, which is obviously some sort of hereditary trait because her mom had the same thing too, right? Uh, Finney, I think, also has some of that in him, right? He's got, he's got yeah. He's got the shine, right? Let's just call there it There it shine, is. Right? Um, so there is a supernatural aspect to this. However that's woven into a story that is really real. It's, uh, and, and, and it, it touches upon, I think, a very primal fear that is innate to us from the time that we are children to the time uh, that you have your own children. Uh, yes. This fear never really goes away. So, um, does this story manage to the story itself, right? Not the image of Ethan Hawke and the mask is the grabber, right? Um, but the actual content, this story, does it frighten you? So what's incredible about this movie, it was one of the very first things that, that I noticed is when this movie makes the turn uh, into being something supernatural, it's this really bizarre and interesting thing because the entire beginning of this movie act one is all set on selling you on how realistic this whole thing is going to be here is two kids being raised by their dad because their mom has passed their dad is having a rough go drinks a lot um is just uh he's haunted by the fact that the mother committed suicide and is bothered by the fact that the 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 daughter is now having these these visions before we really know too much about them, right? We just, they're just her dreams. And she says, sometimes her dreams come true, but they cement into your brain how realistic this all is. The, the set design does so much 
to sell how realistic this all is. I mean, this was it was 78, I think, is when this was supposed to yeah. take place. And I mean, you it, you could feel it. It permeated it without we always we make that joke of something being like offensively 80s. This wasn't yeah. offensively 70s, but you knew. It it, it was genuine to me. It yes. looked like it like uh like like after John Carpenter was done that day filming <laughs> Halloween in 1978 which was not filmed in the fall right it was definitely filmed in the summer right um but it looks like Scott Derrickson came on yeah. afterwards used the same crew and said all right, all right roll camera Yes, it, I mean it, the way that they were dressed, the way that the houses looked, even like the color palette was authentically seventies. Yeah, and so they so they do all they put all this effort into being like this is this is real, you know, this is something that could have happened, and then all of a sudden you get a phone that is that is clearly disconnected from the wall. And it rings, and he's hearing voices, and there, there other, there other kids that the that the grabber has gotten, and you're let you're led very quickly to understand that those kids are dead, and they're communicating from from beyond, and then it's so so you start off like just terrified because of the fact that this town is there's a monster in this town kidnapping these children, then you're scared because you watch a child actually get taken. And you meet the monster, but then it just gets unsettling because you're getting, he's getting phone calls from these dead children and every one of them is giving him advice or they're telling him ways that they thought of to try to break out. Right. And so then it gets even creepier because you're not, it's not just ghosts that are talking to him. It's children who were in this situation and tried their hardest to get away and couldn't. And, and it who just, he knows. And he knows, yes. And it, yeah. just, it just eats away at you. And it's it's so scary. There's, there's something to be said about abduction and home invasion movies in the, the, the horror genre. And that idea that the premise could happen to anyone. You know, the the chances of, of your van breaking down and ending up at a house full of people who eat humans is much lower than your chances <laughs> of, of your kid being snatched off the street by a guy in a black van. So you it, it and you're right. It starts off when you're a kid and you're taught stranger danger. We've got a great comment from uh, Andy over here saying this this movie is true to a fault with regards to his childhood in the 80s. Kidnappers, rapists and drug dealers were running rampant in his hometown and yet they were riding bikes past well past dusk. Absolutely. <laughs> These people are out there but the kids are still like just going and doing things <laughs> unsupervised and they know that these children are being taken. But that part is what stands out as being so scary. And yeah, there's plenty of other things and there's a couple of really good jump scares, but man, that that sudden divergence from look at how real this is to the supernatural element while other things are but then except for that one thing, except for the phone ringing and the dead kids calling, everything else is still it's so straight real. as an arrow and so real. And you're just, 
you're just uncomfy the whole time, right? You're, and it's, it was, it was terrifying and you're right. And now we're dads. So now you also look at it from that angle of, oh my God, you know, that, that whole thing, they made that joke on Family Guy one time where Brian found that he had a kid and just anytime anything happened, but, oh my God, what if that happened to my kid? Oh my God. Right. <laughs> but you have moments like that. Yeah, and and this do. movie is that. Um, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, I, this, this really does speak to you. And there's something about um, content, whether it's literature or music or, um, you know, a painting or a, or a movie that just speaks to you. Um, you know, it's, it's the reason why variety is the spice of life, because what speaks to you may not speak to me. The beautiful and sad thing about this is that this is something that speaks to everyone because everyone has this fear. Um, Andy and I grew up in the same town. Uh, he's a little bit older than I am, but um, I remember I, I must have been maybe six years old um, when uh, there was a little boy my same age uh, named Jimmy Rice. I'll never forget this. He was uh, abducted on his way home from school and there was this like crazy search for him and uh he was finally found it you know it was awful what had been done to this boy and that was like a turning point in my childhood because i could no longer just go and ride my bike out in right. the neighborhood and i lived in a very safe neighborhood you know um and i i couldn't my cousin lived three houses down from me i couldn't walk to my cousin's house without my parents or my aunt and uncle standing out on the sidewalk because that's how real that fear was for everyone. So, um, and, and to this day, whenever we're out, I watch my son like a hawk. Right. I, I am, uh, I, I don't like helicopter parent. I'm not like on top of him, but from a distance, I'm watching to see what it is that's going on. And if there's anything that seems out of place, but as we saw in this movie, I mean, it's th like a flip of a switch. It's from one second to the next. You know, do you want to see a magic trick? And then, boom, yeah, done. You know that that was that was so scary uh, because yeah, I, I could imagine it happening. Too. Yes, I could imagine it happening. The other thing that I found really scary was, um, and and I think that you know this this speaks to the child in us all, um your home life is never perfect no matter how perfect it is and i remember watching that scene where finney and gwen's dad is just going off yeah. right uh that that uh that abuse scene and it was i think the most disgusted i was in the whole movie yep and like i, I found it difficult to to watch like i was just like it wasn't like one of those, like when someone like gets something stuck in their eye, you know, mm -hmm. and then the blood starts gushing, right? Or when someone gets like you know, a nail through their nail, right? Like that, <laughs> that stuff. Like it makes wins, right? Like, that's not what this was. This was like horror. It was actual horror. I was watching myself watch this, and I was like, "This is the most disgusted I've been." in a long time. And, 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 and I mean, there's, there's so much respect that I had for Gwen 
because yeah. she obviously she obviously knew how to get him to stop. This is something that maybe she saw her mom do, right? I don't think that this is a a, a problem that developed because her mother uh, committed suicide. Yeah, because when she feeling. drops that bottle, he says, "You're not your mom." Yep. And, and, and to me, that's like what made this even worse. Is it's like you know, go ahead and keep reminding your daughter that she's not enough. You know, like if the physicality of this is yeah. it, like that broke her. Yeah, that absolutely, and, and that was that was so like heartbreaking for me because there really is no escape for some people because whether it's the grabber out on the street or dad at home, for some people there is no escape from the horror of life. Yeah, and what's you know it. It's interesting when you use that use that word escape. And so we start off with this idea of there is no escape from your home life that could just be, you know, just fucked beyond recognition. But then when once we start getting the phone calls from the dead boys, you and you start getting these, you start they each one has a different way that they tried to get out. And they're they're relaying it to Finney. And they're all things that make sense for a kid to try to do starting with, you know, know, trying to tunnel out like that's, that's cartoonish. Like I can see a kid thinking that's a way you're going to get out is if you can get to the dirt. Cause he even says uh, it's Bruce, Bruce says it. He says, I didn't have time to tunnel to the other side. Like he genuinely thought that if he could dig this dirt, he could just tunnel out with his hands. Yeah. With his hands. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you've got him talking about stacking the carpets, trying to use the, the cord to, to get the great, all of these things that he tried, these are all things. The one kid who's the the the, the pinball playing street tough. He was yeah, the one who thought to, yeah, yeah, he was the one who tried to break through the wall. It made sense for that kid to try to do that. But these are all things that you can see a kid thinking are gonna be viable ways out. You can see a kid thinking, oh, the door's unlocked. I'm just gonna walk out before before finding out that that ends badly. And then warning somebody else that it's going to happen because you find out that's the game he plays. You've got to play naughty boy. He wants you to come upstairs so he has a reason to beat you, which is why things were going so poorly with Finney because Finney wouldn't play naughty boy. And that was driving him crazy. So each of these kids are giving advice based on what happened to them because they all say the phone rang for us, but we couldn't hear it. So this is something that goes on and on, and it goes back to what we talked about at the top, where obviously there's something genetic in um, in Finn and Gwen that that have them connected to some of the, you know, they, they can communicate through the veil, right? They're connected yeah. to another another plane of existence, another realm. And so with Gwen, it manifests in your dreams. For him, it was that phone ringing. And there's also this really one really scary the first time he hears the phone ring and he picks it up and there's nothing there that time but you you immediately see that the cord's not going anywhere so it's like oh weird but the grabber is so adamant that he has to hang it up yeah it's broken hang it up now and he's getting pissed because he can hear it ring too and he knows what happens on the other the other side of that phone 
And so then all of those little things start to build. I mean, you want to talk about how real this movie is. I mean, parts of this movie were targeted directly at us. There is a moment in this film where two people compare whether or not Texas Chainsaw Massacre is better than Enter the Dragon. Dave, you might as well have been in that scene. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he's talking about two of my favorite movies of all time. (laughs) Like, he was like, is it better than... Robin and I would have definitely been friends. He goes, better than Enter the Dragon? I was like, this mother is comparing to a Dave's favorite movies. <laughs> and so you've got that. Then you've got the kid who's getting bullied. I, I grew up a fat kid. Like I'm used to getting, you know, I was used to getting picked on. I was fortunate in the fact that where I went to school, bullying very rarely led to uh, physical violence. But, you know, I definitely not to the point where I was getting my ass kicked by three people at one time. But I, I I know that feeling of of being bullied, of getting out of one class and just trying to haul ass to the next one because you know that somebody's out there at their locker waiting to mess with you. So so many of these things. Oh, he stayed when his dad falls asleep, so he just stays up late. He's trying to stay quiet, watching scary movies in the living room, so he doesn't watch it, wake his dad up. All of those things had me so engrossed in this. That then when the, the the scares start, you want to talk about scares. I there there was there's one jump scare in particular, and it's the first time that you see Billy. The phone hasn't even rang yet. It's the first time that he sees a kid and doesn't just yeah. talk to him on the phone. And you get this weird uh like Billy kind of floating with the one foot up and the blood dripping down, and it just comes out of nowhere, be- beautifully like scored. Yeah. I mean, just a excellently placed jump scare i i mean it i i pissed like it scared me like i was that was the one time when it was like a a jump scream scare but it's so well done and when you look at something when you look at that particular scare and you're looking at scott um derrickson i mean that goes back to was it exorcism of emily rose was that the one that he did yeah i mean that was that was that was a scene right out of right out of that and he didn't go too hard with it, like reminding you. But as soon as I saw that, yeah, once it was I just down, out of focus yes. in the back. But it was so effective. Yeah, really effective. And so, I mean, they just they did so many incredible things to make this relatable so that, you know, we we talk about movies that have to they, when once the rules are kind of set, you've got to follow by them. And they did a good job setting their rules, which are basically just he can hear the phone. He can talk to the kids, you know, then he can't see them. But then he kind of but then he can see. Um, let's see. That's uh, Griff. That's Griffin is the one he sees. Um, he sees Griffin, you know, but they 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 stick to it. It never it never becomes something where the ghosts start helping. Like, you know, it, you know, he can't suddenly like get a boost up to the window right. from the ghost or something like that. They can't and it's never more than like e- immediate advice. Right. This the piecing together of the advice all comes from him when he realizes I can utilize all this stuff together. Yeah. You know, because it didn't work for you guys working individually. But when you come together you know, all of us as victims, right? We can band together to do something great, which is take down the bad guy, right? Something like the Me Too movement a couple of years ago, bringing yeah. down someone like Harvey Weinstein, right? Individually, these people were not able to bring them down, but you band together 
right? You unionize, for lack of a better term. <laughs> yeah, right. True. And and you're like, hey, fuck the man. And yeah, it will work. And they, uh, you know, I I just it was just all of that stuff worked together so well. And like I said, it was all it all. I there was one thing about this. There was actually something about the way that the ghosts interacted on this that reminded me of Crimson Peak, which was. When he's talking, he says, I don't remember my name. It's one of yeah. the first things that goes. And it reminded me of the specters in Crimson Peak where it was like they got further and further from being human. But these kids, it was all recent enough that they were they were still kind of human, but they made acknowledgement of the fact that things are slipping. You know, they've got to act while they can. You know, your name's the first thing to go. Things like that. Just those conversations that he had with the ghosts were so scary because it was just two kids talking about what to do in an unwinnable situation. And I, I loved it. I just, I was on edge the entire time. Yeah. And so, I mean, as we're looking at those kids and, and how well that, how well they played their parts, we look at the fact that outside of Ethan Hawke and the dad, for the most part, there's two cops and there's uh, Max, Ethan Hawke's brother. But out, most of this cast is kids and they contribute to the story more so than anyone. So who stood out for you? What were the performances in this or what about their performances from those kids was awesome? Um, I mean, to, to me, the the obvious star here is not uh mason thames is finney even though he was great i'm not taking anything away from his performance but for me it was madeline mcgraw's gwen yeah she just knocked it out of the park um you know you you get this sense that she's special by the way that she speaks in the very first scene you know she's a little mature for her age um you know she's definitely a badass who stands up for her brother right but she, like she's got no problem seeing robin kick the shit out of yeah, the bully moose right yeah out of moose yeah and, and to me that was really telling of her character because she doesn't allow bullies to walk all over her she didn't let her dad do it to her and she doesn't let the grabber do it to, to her brother and, right. and, and and there's such a strength behind this girl. I don't know how old she is. She can't be more than 12 or 13 years old. But, I mean, she impressed me so much with the strength that she portrayed on screen. Like, I have to imagine that this girl is, like, a little badass in her own life. Um, To me, she's the one who really was like the the showstopper because everything from sitting down and praying right where um she uh, uh andy yes. chacon says uh, yeah uh she prayed the way most people would want to she was awesome yeah uh, the way that she prayed right she uh she sits there she speaks to god right and she she's she knows the rules of, she knows. Uh, of this you know she's right. like i know you can't you know uh like just interfere, intervene like yeah. you, you don't intervene or something right like that was it, it was it was funny right uh but it was also like the, this is a child 
Mm -hmm. right? Like there's that little girl aspect of her that comes out every now and then. And, and and then it was like really funny because like her dad is coming. She hears him coming down the hall. And so she hides the cross and she goes away and then she comes back. She holds the cross and says, amen. And then yes. goes back, you know, like you, you need to finish the prayer. She knows the rules, you know, right. that was to me, that was another like really awesome little character quirk where she understands what it like the role that she has to play she you know as as much as robin tells finney that he needs to protect himself and he does right uh he escapes because of himself not because of gwen right but gwen is always there to protect him and she's the younger sister to me that's i mean it, it, it's right there um and, and we'll we'll talk about ethan hawk later right uh, i mean when 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 I'm looking at, at the at all the actors here, um, outside of the kids, I know we talked about how hard to watch that abuse scene was, but Jeremy Davies does such a great job with this dad because the trope of the drunken, uh, uh, depressed, abusive father is 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 thin ice because it's really easy to fall through and just be an ass. But he. Look, he looked tortured as he did yeah. these things, uh, and yeah, it was it was it was hard to watch. I mean, yeah, and it was it was disgusting, but that sh it showed on his face that he was also disgusted with it. it. It showed that he was just in over his head. He didn't know what to do with this entire situation. He's a single dad. He's got a kid who's who's having premonitions and the, his wife committed suicide possibly because of these premonitions. He's just he's he's drowning. And so when he does interact and when these things happen, he looks pained. He just looks and sounds defeated. And I, I love Jeremy Davies. He's one of those guys that just shows up sometimes. In, in in random things, but when he's there, I always <laughs> but I always really enjoy him. He was Daniel Faraday yeah. um on Lost. I thought that he was great in his role in Lost. He was in Justified in season two. He was one of the brothers of like the family that uh that Raylan's the Givens family was do was at war with or whatever. But he he he's a very, very good actor, and it's always in how he says things and how he looks his delivery is always very good so jeremy davies is the standout adult for me in this but yet when it comes to the kids i loved the one flashback scene we got with pinball vance yeah was, that was awesome I, I mean that kid was just he was he was cool like he was just like i said he was just he was just a pinball playing street tough in the late 70s yeah. and, <laughs> and 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 it was and for the short little time that he had it that he had the spotlight he shined uh he did a great great job but yeah when it all when it all comes down to it man it comes down to to finn right it comes down to to mason thames and we watch him go from scared kid at school getting bullied 
to the dude. Like he becomes that dude. Yeah. And he doesn't just get away from the grabber. He ends the grabber's reign of terror. <laughs> yeah. And and it's just it and it's it's such and it's such a great it's such a great character development. And especially for the the motivation for it to come from his buddy that only got the two scenes and, and like beating up Moose and then washing the blood off his knuckles. <laughs> but there's a scene when he's teaching him how to hit the grabber with the phone. And yeah. the two of them are like, inter- they're like interacting uh, together without really kind of being there together. But you see him acting out. It was how a he's touching gonna- scene, man. Yes, man. Those kids brought it. They were the heart and soul of this movie. Everyone, we were talking about how Gwen prayed. There's a moment where she wakes up in the morning one time and she hasn't had a dream and she's pissed because her brother's missing and she hasn't had a dream. So what does she do? She hits her knees. She grabs her prayer materials. She looks up to heaven and she says, Jesus, what the fuck? Like, like Andy said, she prays the way people want to, right? You, 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 you get down on your knees and you're, you're, you're looking to what you've been taught your whole life is this omnipotent being and your brother is still gone and you can do nothing to help. Yo, what the fuck? Right? Like that's exactly what everybody wants to say in that moment, whether you're praying or whether you're just screaming into the void like I do. (laughs) <laughs> you know that's that's the only that's the only way to sum up how anyone would feel in that and like as she hits her knees and screams this to the heavens i love it and it was convincing i watched uh, some of the behind the scenes stuff and they talked about how they really focused on her hairstyles being things that look like she could do it herself uh, which mm-hmm. I thought, which I thought was a nice little touch when it came to the characters, because it was true to the fact that she lived with a drunk dad who obviously spent most of his mornings hungover. Because you could tell she was a little scared when she dropped that metal from the bread box, and it and it made a loud noise, and yeah. he kind of winced behind the newspaper, and it's like, ooh, they're used to him being hungover in the morning, and that's that's gone badly for them sometimes, making too much noise, yeah. and. They, but then you get this really great brother sister moment that's quiet between the two of them. And I think that that cannot be overstated how great the two of them were as siblings. We talked about back when we did Jeepers Creepers, how good those two actors were at seeming like realistic siblings who had just gone off to college, like late teens, early 20s siblings. Yeah. These two were so good good at seeming like yeah 13 14 year old one or two years apart siblings who didn't have a caustic relationship because they needed each other because they were it you know they they knew how to they they took care of their dad to the point that it's a plot point right hey i'm going to spend the night mm-hmm. at Susie's house or whatever you know what that means yeah i'll take care of dad you know, be, be safe. I'll see you in the morning. Those types of things, those types of conversations that you expect to happen between a kid and one of their parents are happening between them. And she was genuinely concerned while never slipping into that, that helpless damsel role, right? She was active in her brother's, uh, in her brother's rescue, 
which was great. But like you said, it was Finn who had to get himself out. There was that moment where you were like, oh, he, you know, they're going to show up. And no, he saved himself. Her dream, yeah. her dream led them somewhere else. Turns out it was somewhere very close, right across the street. <laughs> but they, he, he had to save himself and she had to do her part. And so again, together, they were this amazing whole unit. And that was always perfectly portrayed between them. I was very impressed with really just anybody who had a role in this. I mean, even those two cops, it's like, oh, look, these guys are dipshits. Cool. Like, well, you know, they did that fine. Uh, so there, there, were, there were a lot of good performances here. But yeah, out, outside Ethan Hawkman, it's, it's all about the kids. The, the kids stole this movie. Every one of them brought everything that they had to to this role and they laid it all out there and i mean when you when and it's not like they went and got known kid actors mason thames and madeline DeGraw don't even have wikipedia pages yeah right right you know they're they're as i was researching this i was like well i don't know i guess i'll maybe find out what else they've been in but no there's they have black they don't have blue links on the wikipedia yeah. page you know this is so as far as mainstream is concerned i don't know what they're out there doing they could have been in children's theater their whole lives but as far as we're concerned this is this is their premiere and man they've got hella shoes to fill when it comes time for their next movie yes they do um which kind of leaves us with just the one cast member that i I think, you know, needs to have his own section to talk about. We do this whenever there's a a, a villain, you know, like some sort of a big bad. killer or something. Big bad, yeah. Um, but I think particularly in this case, we, we need to talk about Ethan Hawke as the grabber, right? Yeah. So he reunites with Scott Derrickson. Uh, this time he's in the role of villain. You know, he's not the... Uh, I mean, I don't know if I could call him a bumbling protagonist in Sinister, but, but he's kinda. like he's tread he's treading in bumbling waters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so with Sinister, Derrickson created, I think, one of the modern horror icons. Oh yeah, with uh, with Bugul, right? With 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 Mister Boogie, so. How does the grabber stack up next to Bugul, but also just in the pantheon of horror killers? What does Ethan Hawke bring to this table that maybe it's new, maybe it's it's kind of pulling from other inspiration? And was it scary? Yeah. So hands down. It was scary. I mean, let's just get that out of the way. It was terrifying. And a lot of things went into that. First and foremost, we got to talk the mask. Yeah. Uh, Tom Savini created that mask. Uh, I found out watching some behind the scenes stuff that, that, that mask is a Tom Savini creation. I did not know that. Yeah. And it uh, explains a lot. There you go. Yeah. Now <laughs> yeah, yeah, pieces are falling in right now. So yeah, yeah that thing is a Tom Savini creation, which, which makes a ton of sense. And they did so much with the mask, which is essentially yes. what the grabber is. The grabber is the mask. And Ethan Hawke even said that. He said, when I saw this mask, 
I knew it was going to carry the weight and I had to, I had to bring, I had to make the mask work because the mask was the grabber. So the, there are at least three different bottoms to, to it. There's the one with no mouth, the frown and the smile. What's really scary is at the beginning when we're kind of seeing the different faces that go with the, the mask, we almost get slightly different personalities. We yeah. get what Ethan Hawke brought to this was he brought each mask to life differently. Still psycho. Slightly. Yeah. But slightly different when it's, when it's got the no mouth, when it's first there and he's talking about, I, I, I don't, I don't know the kids' names. I don't know you. Everything's going to be fine. We're just going to play. Bah, bah, bah. It's all just very matter of fact. And you don't know the, how to read that. Right. And yeah. And you, you, you have no, like it's, it's, you have no idea what's going on. So then we, then we get the, the weird, the weird smile one and he's bringing him food and he's, he's making salient points, right? Like, you're already here in the basement. Why would I drug you? Like the hard part's over yeah. for me. Yeah, go yeah, go, go yeah. ahead and scream. I soundproof this myself. It's all good. And it's and it's weird. And then we see him with just the with with just like the bottom part and no top. And he's That's crying. what I found most interesting. Yeah. And and he's just like staring at him when he's sleeping. And he wakes up because he hears the phone ring and who's there. It's it's just him, but it's just the bottom part. And his eyes, like I said, I just, I just put crying question mark. It looked like maybe his eyes were watering. Like there was a moment where watching this kid sleep, he felt bad about what was going to happen. What had happened in the past, because we know he's hearing the phone ring too. And it was the yeah. phone ringing that woke him up. So, has he been hearing the phone ring and he's crying because he's remembering everything that's going to happen. And then you get that weird thing where it's like, I don't feel sorry for the guy, but is this a compulsion more than a game type thing? And you get all of this really weird stuff. And then the best though, the, when he's, he's standing and he's silhouetted and he's like, just, just oh, tell man. me your, just, just tell me your name and, and I'm going to let you go. And he just gives some bullshit name and he steps into the light and it's the frown and he throws the food and throws the newspaper at him. And he's like, Oh, I was going to let, we were going to have fun. I was going to let you go. And it's like, Oh shit. Like that one's even scarier now. Like the, just, yeah, it was, it was, it was incredible. And we only see Ethan Hawke's full face. Like the one time when he's grabbing him to put him in the van and it's still painted white at the time. Yeah. Because when he chases him outside, he even still has the bottom on. But man, he's he's horrifying because he's not over the top until the very end when he when he just loses it, when nothing has gone right. Everything about Finn has just gone wrong. Finn won't play the game. Finn can obviously hear the phone. He knows what that means. Finn is lying to him. Everything is going wrong. And he finally just snaps to the point that he kills his brother. And that's the only time when he goes real over the top with it. He's terrifying because he's so subdued. He's so, con he's so in control of himself 
through all of these horrifying things that he's done and is going to do to the point that when he's sitting up in the kitchen and he's sitting there and we get the dad bod scene, he's got the belt, he's got the (laughs) frown mask on and you can see it in his face. It's like, he's like a combination of pissed and bored. Like this, this was his whole night. Like this is, this is the only thing he had penciled in was playing naughty boy and Finn ain't helping him out. And I got, I got all night Finn. You take your time, but we're going to play naughty boy. Exactly. It was just everything that he brought to that role. Most of the time while being hidden behind a mask was incredible, man. And to the point that except for the fact that the, the grabber can hear the phone, the grabber's never presented as any sort of supernatural entity, which again puts him, it puts him more in a category with, like I said, other home invasion and abduction things. You're next, Hush, The Strangers. He goes in that pantheon of people who are terrifying because that dude might be real. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you, you mentioned a couple of things that um, I really latched onto with him. Um, before I get into that, though, uh, Andy says the mask was ominous, but the way the van was used was creepy as hell. And I agree. It reminded me of almost like the way death comes in you know, yeah. uh, like on, on, a, on a horse, right? You see that image of, of death with the scythe and he's sitting on a horse and he's kind of slumped over with the hood on. That's kind of what that was to me, right? And then the releasing of the black balloons from there. I mean, that that's just, it, it's, it's a calling card, you know? Yes, a um, calling card. And, and it's, it, it's, it's even creepier that way because like every serial killer, Right, it, it, they're almost goading on the uh, the cops. They're goading on the people. I'm here. Why can't you find me? Yeah, right. It ain't that big I, a town. Right. It's not that big a town. Right. We're talking about like a very small community. Right. And it seems like a very tightly knit community. Yeah. Because so, he, he knew every kid who had gone missing. So it seems like one of those schools and neighborhoods where everybody knows everybody. They all play ball together. You know, his sister yeah. wanted to watch Bruce. He had his eyes on Bruce's sister. You know, like they all did. They were all there together. Yeah. So there's uh, there's two things you mentioned that to me really kind of hit me. Um, And, and I'm putting on my uh, professor hat now. Love it. Um. So actually, let's 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 do this. All right. <laughs> There's the my professor. Profe- hat. My professor hat is on now, right? <laughs> so, um, let me take this thing what is that? A Panama Jack? Uh, it, it, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> that's that's my vacation hat. Um, so the mask, right? When he takes the top part off. In the same way, where depending on what the bottom half is is the version of the grabber that we're getting. Mm -hmm. I think that when he takes the top part off, he's finally letting us look at him. He's finally letting us see the real him. Because you're right. I don't know if he's crying when he's just sitting there looking at him. But he is vulnerable. Yeah, there we go. Vulnerable. That's the good word. He's extremely vulnerable. He's vulnerable in that moment. And he's vulnerable in the moment that he kidnaps 
Finney because we see him bumbling and dropping things. Um, I don't think that was staged. Right. I, I think that he saw an opportunity. I think that he always has those balloons back there. I think he's always ready to snatch another kid. Right. Yeah. Um, and if he doesn't have anyone in the room, then let's do this. Right. Open season. So I think, yeah, I think he, he saw an opportunity. He took it. Right. And it's the whole reason why it kind of didn't go well because Finney was able to stab him and yeah. hurt him. Right. And, and right from the get go, he knows that Finney is special. He tells him that because of this. Right. And again, he had the top part of that mask off when we finally see his whole face that Finney removes the mask. What does he do? He like, he shouts out in horror. Yeah. And, and shuts himself off because he doesn't know who he is without the mask. It's almost as if the mask controls him as much as he controls the mask. Right. It, it, it gives him purpose. It gives him identity. It gives him an opportunity to channel his insanity. Yeah. Which brings me to the next thing, the hearing the phone, right? We see or hear of four different characters who have these supernatural abilities, right? One is their mother who the voices drove her to commit suicide, right? We have Gwen who clearly has taken the lessons that she learned from observing her mother and hearing about her mother and been able to channel that into something positive. She refuses to let that control her. In fact, she controls it. Yes. Um, Then we have Finney who needs some sort of conduit like the phone to communicate to the other side. Cause we don't have any other proof right. that he has, you know, communicated with the other side that he can communicate through the veil. Um, but the phone also is a conduit for the grabber, right? Now here's the thing where Finney and Gwen respond to the other side with a sort of reverence, right? Which we see in Gwen with the way that she prays, with the way that she asks for these visions, right? Um, Her mother wasn't able to control this and she killed herself. I think that the grabber isn't able to control this either. And so he kills others. So he's kind of like the inverse of the mom, right? And, And so... He mentions that he soundproofed this whole room. Yes. Why the fuck would he soundproof this room in the first place? If he has a whole nother house where he can do his murdering, I think it's because the phone is there. He says he answered the phone once. Yeah. And I, I, I think that it drove him to a point of insanity where he said, I can't look at this phone. I can't answer this phone. The phone's broken. He created this narrative that broke his mind where he can't function without the mask. He can't function without maybe even giving the phone a purpose subconsciously, right? Okay. So 
he's the inverse of the mother, right? And then we have Finney who knows how to use this phone, who knows how to respect what's on the other side. Yeah. So we we have this look at how we approach the other side, how we approach the veil. Is it something that we use for good? Is it something that we use for bad? And how that interacts with others? Because it's not just Gwen trying to save her brother. I mean, really, she going all the way back to Bruce, she's trying to save these people yeah. somehow, right? One way or another. So I, I, I thought that the phone itself was such an interesting concept, right? Because he clearly was really upset with this phone. And, and not just because he says the phone's broken, hang it up, right? There's that streak that goes across the whole wall. Yes. Right? I think that it's never explicitly stated, but I'm pretty sure that was phone wire that he ripped out of there. And that explains why Bruce, uh, no, not Bruce, the paper boy was able to find, was it the paper boy? I can't remember which one now. Was the, able to find yeah, the... Yeah, he finds wire mm -hmm. and he shoves it under, you know, the, the wall there. What the fuck kind of wire is that? To me, it looked like it could have been like a phone cable that right. had been ripped out of the wall that he just left laying around because he ripped it out of the wall and the phone still rang. So he cut the line. The phone still rang. What did he, he soundproofed this whole thing, right? To lock that part of him away. And it wasn't enough. It drove him to the killing. So it, it's the grabber, I think, is this you know representation of what happens when you don't healthily acknowledge what you've got going on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he I think I, I, I think that while, while you may be right about what caused the 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 that crack like in the wall. I didn't think I didn't, it makes sense for it to be like a phone cord because if it's still ringing, even though he knows it's not gone, you know, it's that, that thing where you're just going to just pull it all out. Mm -hmm. But it, it was, it gave this really cool, like uh visual representation of this room being an area where, where like he had broken right? Like this yeah. is where he had snapped. And so, yeah, I think that, that it being the phone cord makes sense. And I think that visually it, it shows you that this room is where the grabber was created because this is where his mind broke like that, that section of the wall. Yeah. So speaking of that section of the wall, I think that there's something here in this movie in there are buckets and buckets of what can only be described as style in this movie we've talked about set design we've talked about the mask we've talked about so many things but when we're just looking at the when we're looking at all of these things it is style and there there's there's a grace to it what stands out to you about you know the the style of this movie whether it be the sets the shots just anything like that what are the standouts for you to me, one of the things, and you, you kind of touched upon this a little bit, one of the things that really stands out to me is how authentic it looks. Um, because it's very easy when you do a period piece to make it nostalgic. Right. And and I think that we see that a lot, particularly with the 80s, 
right? Like something like Stranger Things. Um, that that first season, I think, is a little bit more authentic to the '80s than the rest of the show. Yeah, once they introduced the mall, the wheels really. Yeah, they <laughs> they, they started to really lean into that. To, to me, it was almost a um, like when, when someone exaggerates a story from their past. Mm-hmm. That's that that's what that is. It's an an exaggerative look at the '80s. And that's fine because it was a, a decade of excess and we all kind of remember it that way anyway, right? But the it's such a sobering look back at this time, a time that we often uh, romanticize, right? Things were so much better then, right? Yeah, uh, the good old because, days. Yeah, the, the, the good old days because, uh, you know, before all the violence and before – you couldn't have a political conversation with someone, right? The truth of the matter is that shit was fucked then too. And it always yep. has been. The only difference between 1978 and 2022 is that we have much more access to all these stories now. Yes. And people are much more willing to talk about them because of that access. So I love the way that this looks so authentic. And I wasn't around in 1978. But if you look at movies that were made at that time, it looks exactly like that. Yeah. To me, that looked like Haddonfield. And I keep going back to that. I mean, there were houses there that to me looked like, and it was shot in, you know, Southern California. You know, it was not shot in Illinois. Right. <laughs> um, right. And, and and they they shipped in leaves, dead leaves, you know. So they they created that look, but they created that look to look authentic to Middle America. And 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 I think that's what we got here. Like this, it was supposed to be Denver, Colorado, but they really shot it in North Carolina. One of the Carolinas, you know? yeah, yeah. So like, to me, it was it was very representative of like we want to represent the nineteen seventies authentically you know the, down to like the the raincoat that she wears right could it have been an homage to it right and georgie very possibly oh, okay however i think more than that there's a reason why georgie wore a a, a yellow slicker and it's because that's what was worn yeah, you, you know got a very Ra- good point yeah like ra- raincoats just came in these bright colors and and that's what we see there, right? Because she's wearing bright red rain boots, yeah. And and the way that, like, it, she doesn't, uh, Gwen, right? She she's she's a tomboy in that, like, she likes to like watch this fight and that stuff. And that, to me, it felt authentic. And the she way clocked that that the shit happening. out of that bully with a oh, rock when man. he was beating up Yes, her she did. Yes, she did. And the way that they kind of just like sat on the sidelines after it was like, okay, I'm out now. Yeah, exactly. You know? It's like, like that. That's that's a very authentic thing. They didn't just keep fighting. You know, it's like, no, no, I'm out. Yeah. You, you got me. I'm out. <laughs> that's it. You know? So there, there is an authenticity to, to me. And, uh, that's one of the things that kind of hit me the most. The other thing and we see this a lot in uh in particular in the basement and and in that house the grabber's house is the lighting the lighting was so good there were certain things and and like the the way that 
focus is used yeah because things are just slightly out of focus off to the side of the frame not center frame and the way that those things interact with finney is is awesome it's great use of it in the same way that focus was used in gwen's dream sequences it was that sort of soft focus but it didn't look like classic soft focus like not like that casablanca look it, it almost when... looked like super eight footage yeah uh, that's that's it yeah yeah, yeah and, like and, that that was, reminded me of great... sinister yeah yeah and there's a lot of things that did even the crack in the wall reminded me of the of sinister yeah you know, with, with the way that, you know, the blood is just dragged across the wall. Um, it, it, I think that if you were to watch Sinister, right? Fuck Sinister too. So you watch Sinister. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> and, we, and, and then- We did a whole episode of Geekmore where I centered the entire, th- I, I came up with the idea for one for an episode of Geekmore because I hate Sinister 2 so much. We did an entire episode that spawned from the seed of fuck Sinister 2. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Fuck it right in the goat ass. Like it's it's just the worst. Um, <laughs> it, um was that your number one worst? It was movie? it was it was my number one uh bad sequel to a good movie. Yeah. To a good movie, yeah. Oh man, it really is. It's awful. Um so which is weird because in, in like the horror verse, like part two is typically are pretty good. Yeah, uh, Dickinson uh, did not Dickinson. Uh, Der- Derrickson, uh, Derrickson, Derrickson, no involvement. Co- co-wrote it, but didn't direct it. And I think that's oh, the, he did write it. Okay, he he, he co-wrote uh, it, but didn't direct. I went and looked that up today, so that that probably didn't help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there were there were some really great stylistic choices in this. Like I said, that Super Eight type footage, the opening credits being setting the mood for how unsettling everything was going to be those really ominous and creepy scenes where the first couple of times we see a kid get kidnapped, where we just, we see the van and the kids kind of going towards it. And then we get this, not like real blatant fade out, but like this really weird, like out of focus. And then it just kind of dissipates moment. Some of those it slows down. Yes. It's weird. Like, yeah. It's, it's the, very unsettling. That was great. The first time we see Gwen have a dream of being of where Finn is, you can look on the house and you can see an address and it's 1242. But then the first time the cops show up, the the first time the cops show up at Max's house or the house where Max is, which we eventually found out is the grabber's house. They do a really good job of keeping the shot real tight. So you can't see that number um, on the side of the door. And so, cause I like, as I was writing, I was like, Oh, I was like, that door looks real familiar. That brick looks real familiar. And I'm trying to watch, never see the 1242. But then you, but then you eventually do find out that it is the same house. I'm not eventually, you find out pretty quickly. It's like do a line of coke, <laughs> pan down. There's the there's the kid <laughs> in the basement. Uh also, also by the way, 70s cops like, hey, you should clean up. Just rails of cocaine yeah. on the coffee table. <laughs> you should clean up. I know people who have been locked up for having a dime bag in their pocket, but these cops yeah. are like, <laughs> these cops are like, you should clean up the seventies, man. It was a different time. Yeah. But so stylistically, there were some really great, uh, there were some really great choices and some, and, and shots there. Um, there's one thing that I've just, I've got to shout out everyone associated with this movie, whoever did the soundtrack. I don't know whose idea this was, 
but thank you for including a sweet song in a movie that wasn't Ballroom Blitz. And I have nothing against Ballroom Blitz. I love I don't. Ballroom Blitz. Ballroom Blitz is a great song, but Sweet is an amazing glam rock band. Yeah, they really catalog are. is so much bigger and so much better than Ballroom Blitz. And Fox on the Run has had a little bit of a resurgence thanks to Guardians of the Galaxy, and now it's in this too. But yes, thank you for putting a sweet song in a movie that wasn't Ballroom Blitz. I greatly appreciate that. Fox on the Run is an amazing song. Also, like I said, if those are the only two sweet songs you know, go check them out. Incredible glam band. Love sweet. Um, so I just I that that was just that was just a choice that made me happy. But they they did a lot of things. I loved back when we were talking about the kids and how he helped them. The idea that everything that the kids did made sense for what a kid would do. Like when the one kid wrote his combination on the mm -hmm. wall, he was a kid. He was just writing numbers. At the time, he's thinking, I'll remember this. So I just need to write two, three, three, one, seven. I know the combination, but here we go. Commas save lives is what we yeah. learned from this because one, it only, it only, it, it could have just took one comma. One in there somewhere could have separated those things in a way that would have given it away. But yeah. it makes sense for, you know, because I do the same type of shit. Like we were talking a couple of weeks ago. It may have been before the show started. We were talking and I was like, man, I just looked down at my notes and it's been a couple of days since I watched this. And some of these things don't make any sense. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because in the moment you're like, I'm going to remember this. I just need something yep. to trigger my memory. And so that's what a kid is thinking. As long as the numbers are up there, then I'm going to know. And so little things like that, it, it makes it makes sense for the kids to do those types of things. And I just I, I loved all of that. I thought that I thought that it was really cool. Again, if you were paying very close attention, you knew that before the cops went into that house, you knew it wasn't the house that Finn was in because, like I said, the numbers didn't match up that you did see house numbers when she had her dreams and one was 1242 and one was 7741 as etched into the boy's arm by pinball vans. <laughs> but, <laughs> so, you knew what a great way, by the way, of segueing because I had no idea that we were actually in her vision. Right. I, I thought that this was, Finney remembering me too pinball vans yeah and when like, that was such a mind fuck to me i'm like oh shit yeah i just realized what was going on yeah again and again that same thing because it starts with him on the phone he's like hey i remember you you scared the shit out of me and then it, the way it cuts it's like oh here's the reason it scared the shit out of me and then to throw gwen in there and it's and it's a, and it's a premonition or whatever but like i said so if you were paying for if you were paying close attention there the tension for me was like, oh, my God, they're at the wrong house. And I know that. Yeah. And so, like, I'm shitting. Like, I'm sitting there and I'm like, I don't know what he's going to do, but I know those cops are not going to save him. Which, on the one hand, I had this initial moment where initially I was like, oh, damn it. Like, I know that's the wrong house. That kind of ruins it. But then I realized it really enhanced it because I knew he was either going to die or have to save himself. Because yeah. I knew the cops were in the wrong place. And so, because and it was funny because, like I said, my first thought was like, ah, 
I paid too much attention and it ruined the twist. But then it was like, no, it didn't. <laughs> like it, it made it, it, made it better because I wasn't yeah. just waiting for the moment when the cops burst through the door to save him. I knew that wasn't coming. So again, whether you noticed it or not, noticing it adds to the story. It doesn't take away which is always, always important. It's always great when you can notice small details on a first or second watch through and it doesn't take away from the story. You know, anytime that there's a very obvious clue as to what's going to happen and then it plays out, you never know, you know, how which way that's going to go. But in this case, it went real well. I just, I loved the style of this, because like I said at the top, this was not offensively 80s. This was not or 70s. This was not, like you said, the rose colored glasses of the good old days when when kids just played outside. You know, all that shit that people say now, you know, like the boomers say when, when they're talking about our kids. Right. Like, oh, your kids yeah. are not outside <laughs> enough and all that shit. It's like, well, mm, well, you know. We we, yeah, know we got tired of being nabbed by the rabbit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, well, That's now why we're, we're not outside all the time. Yeah, we're aware of where these things are going on now. We're not just getting half-assed. We didn't relate. We didn't release that to the media news stories. You know, <laughs> like, we know what's going on. And this movie laid all of that out there. I mean, this was this was a warts and all kind of understanding of the late seventies. Like, yeah, look at some of this cool style. Look at some of these cool hair. Look at some of this cool hair. Like, look at this kid, like, hanging out at a gas station playing pinball. That's, you know, that shit. Like, that's the that's the fun part to remember. But it's like, also remember that a guy used to be able to live in a community, kidnap kids in that community, and not get caught. <laughs> yeah. and, it, and it just, it puts it all out there. And in a way that's scary, that's fun to watch. And, and man, I, I was, yeah, I, I was, I was impressed. From from beginning to end by this movie, absolutely. Uh, and that kind of just leaves us with our rating here. Um, so our our metric for this movie, there was really only one thing uh, that we discussed, and uh, this one, uh, the idea given to me by my lovely wife. Um, she said, do you know what you're going to use for uh, for your rating system? And I said, no, I hadn't thought about it yet. She was like, I kind of think it's got to be Black Balloons. And I was like, fuck, yes, it does. Yeah, It's got to be Black Balloons. So, Daniel, out of a possible five Black Balloons, how many Black Balloons do you give the Black Phone? So, I think if you've been listening... For, you know, these these 74 minutes that we are at this point, I mean, it's pretty obvious how much I love this. I, on a second or third viewing, I, I may find uh, some some faults, some nitpicky stuff. But one viewing through 24 hours later, I, I'm remembering how scared I was. I'm remembering how touching some of those scenes were the, the stuff that sticks out, sticks out so great. I'm remembering, you know, I'll always remember that mask. I, I'm remembering all of these amazing performances. And I, I this is, it, it's, it's five. It's five. This thing lived up to the hype. This thing, it, it left me scared. It, it left, it left me uncomfortable. It, it was, it was sobering at times 
it was it was uplifting. I mean that that final scene, right? Like like Finny Finny got a full blown final girl scene. Yeah, and, he did. And, <laughs> I mean, and and so you, it's it's just it's it's a roller coaster ride with payoffs in the right place, with suspense in the right place, with characters that are memorable. Uh, we always talk about how we love you know kids playing kids, and and these kids did a great job. Yeah, this this guy is one of the times that the the hype machine. The hype machine did right, and this thing is five black balloons. Um, I gotta go five also. Um, now here's the thing: I really considered gold starring this one and giving it the uh, the venerable six out of five black balloons because Ethan Hawke as the grabber i think is so damn good i think that this is a performance that people are going to be talking about 30 or 40 years from now yeah the same way that we look back at nick castle as the shape the way that we look back at gunner hansen as leatherface that we look at um kane hotter kane hotter yeah as uh as jason uh, that we look at um, Robert Englund as uh, Freddy Krueger. I'm pretty sure that one day, even if this is the only time that we get to see this performance, and I don't think it will be because uh, Scott Derrickson has already said that he and Joe Hill have an idea to continue this. Yeah, uh, we haven't even mentioned the fact that this is all based on a Joe Hill short story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah and, and I, I haven't read the story, but I need to now. Yeah, me too. Be, because uh, because Hill was involved intimately in the creation of this movie. So this is really, um, you know, a, a, I think a good representation of whatever it is that he had in mind when he was writing. And he apparently approached Derrickson and said, I got an idea to keep this going. I don't know if it's going to be a sequel, a prequel, but I have a feeling that this isn't the last time that we've seen Ethan Hawke as the grabber. Even if it is the one and only time we get to see Ethan Hawke as the grabber, fuck if this isn't, I think, one of the best horror villain performances of all time. Yeah. And, and, and that alone had me thinking I should gold star this and give it six out of five black balloons. However... I just saw this movie. Right. And I don't know if six months from now, I'm going to feel the same way about the entire movie. I know that I will feel this way about the grabber. He scared me more than just about any horror villain has ever scared me. Maybe Candyman scares me more. Right. Uh, like that's, that's just yeah. about it. I can't think of, of any other horror villain that frightened me quite as much as this did. Um, but the movie as a whole, I don't know if I can give it the six out of five. Right. So let's, let's come back to this in <laughs> like five years, right? Let's reassess and maybe it, it might get that six out of five. Hey, sound, it sounds right to me. Andy, Andy ringing in here saying it is five black balloons easily with a rocket. Ah, so. nice. So, nice. so, 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 chiming in there too. So that puts us at a unanimous five, and Absolutely. 
you know, that we we've talked about, but you know, hype is hype is easy to, to, to get lost in, but this one, this one did it, you know, this movie definitely did it. So uh, if, if, if you if you've been listening, you know, and you you want to chime in, you missed your chance to rate it on here with us now. You can always head over to our Instagram. Speaking of which, I have gone on and I've kind of reorganized some things and streamlined. So if you head to shiverpod.com right now, what you will get is a very streamlined website that can take you to all of our social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at shiverpod. But you can also listen to episodes right there at shiverpod.com, or you can link to wherever you like to download them. Spottle, Apple, Spottle, Spotify. I like Spottle. Yeah. Spottle. Spotify, <laughs> Apple, um, Google Podcasts, Podbean. I think we're on Stitcher. I, there's a lot of links there, right? But anywhere yeah. that we are, you can get there from there. You can also get to our YouTube page because if you're listening, you could be watching live Wednesdays at 9, 8 central where we do this every week and we are back on a regular schedule. Now I want to thank everybody who took the time to listen. We've had a couple people who hung around for the full episode, Hannah, Andy, thank you guys so much for chiming in today. Uh, it's, it's, it's been great. A lot of the response that we've been getting, everybody showing up for the summer, the, the summer fan fest, Everything has been awesome here lately. We've got some really great movies coming up. I know you, we had said we were going to go real old school. We've pushed that back a little bit because we want to get back into that habit of last week of the month is going to be our classic spot. But we've got some more guests lined up for the future. We're going to be releasing a schedule. We've got some really good stuff coming out. So make sure you head to shiverpod.com to follow us on all the social media. Uh, I also want to give... Um a shout out to uh popcorn frights we uh we visited popcorn frights down here um ish from the better let me tell you podcast and myself and we saw some really great horror movies um we saw one called uh she came from the woods uh directed by um let me pull up his name i don't want to mess it up um she came from the woods uh directed by uh eric bloomquist and uh and we saw another one called uh final summer which was fantastic and uh we uh we unfortunately missed but uh got to chat with uh, the director um kyra gardner of uh a, a documentary i think i didn't watch it so i'm not 100 percent certain but a documentary called uh living living with chucky and uh it, some really cool people so please support them if their movies are coming into your town for a premiere um i really think that you guys should give them uh all the love that you guys give us so uh please make sure you check that out um daniel anything to announce uh, I, I think that's just, a, I think, I think that's just about it. Like I said, make sure, make sure you check out that, that redesigned shiverpod.com. And, uh, like I said, we'll be, we'll be getting back to it. We're trying to post once or twice a day. We love the interaction. Everybody who's making jokes with us and stuff. Uh, I'm very proud of the meme we put out there today. Um, elevated lumber party massacre. <laughs> so make, uh, you know what? And honestly, if we could ask anything of you, share an episode. Just if, if if there's one that you really like, if there's one that you've been on, toss that Spotify link or Apple Apple iTunes link out to your friends. Um, let's get those listened up. But we appreciate each and every one of you guys that listens.
Absolutely. So on behalf of all of us here on Shiver, fright you very much.